Hi, this is Bill Woods, and I guess I probably owe some of you that listened to last week's broadcast an apology. You see, I at our church, they had a father's dinner uh, potluck after church on Sunday morning, and I just assumed it was an honor of Father's Day. And without checking the calendar or anything, I just went ahead and did a Father's Day message. And so... I hope I didn't confuse you. I was a week early, and this is the uh, weekend for Father's Day. But since I preached the message last week, I'm not going to redo it. And I do want to wish you a happy Father's Day. I want to talk today about being keeping spiritually fit. And that seems kind of like a strange thing for me to be talking about at 80 years old and kind of plump and everything. I don't look like I'm too fit as far as physical condition, but I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritually fit. I can be spiritually fit even though I'm a basket case physically. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 through 24, out of the ESV, it says, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You know, people try to keep in good physical condition. They jog and they exercise and they do all these things to keep themselves in shape. And I I can remember how important that was when I was in college. We, I was in the cafeteria one day, and I was talking to a group of guys. It was at the time that there was a newspaper article came out that said there were some guys from Washington State that had uh, walked 50 miles in eight hours. And we got to talking about that and thought, man, what an accomplishment. Well, one of the guys from California, his name was Bob, he said, well, that's nothing. He says, we can do that in California. I said, oh, you can't either. I said, you guys in California are a bunch of sissies. You'd not be able to do that. And so one thing led to another, and we kind of made a bet there that he could walk 50 miles in eight hours. And so... Uh, somehow or other, we, we set it for a certain Saturday, and, and somehow uh, the personnel committee at the college got a hold of it, and they made Bob go out and, and buy new boots, and they made him make sure he had the proper canteen and everything else. He spent a fortune, and uh, they then wanted me to be able to put up the $50, because I'm going to pay him $50 for doing it. And uh, they wanted that put up. Well, I went around to the guys in the dorm, and they pledged each one a dollar. They said, yeah, they'd do it for Bob Worthen. That would be fine. And so the, the time was set. Well, then the personnel committee wasn't happy. They wanted to make sure that he had had a physical uh, before he did something like this so it wouldn't cause any problem. To make a long story short, it turned into a big ordeal. It was just a, a fun thing that a bunch of college guys were doing, and it just turned into a big ordeal. Bob never did get around to walking the 50 miles, and I don't know if he could have or could not. You know, there are ways uh, to keep spiritually fit, too. Not just physically fit, but spiritually fit. And that's what I want to talk about today. Even though I'm not physically fit, 
I do want to make sure that I'm spiritually fit before the Lord. First thing is daily devotions. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. The way to keep spiritually fit is to form a habit of reading the Bible and praying every day. Now, I know that that sounds like you're supposed to be constant prayer like a monk or something for 24 hours, but I believe what this means is be on such a relationship with God that if something comes up, you can instantly say, Lord, I need some help. I'm in an attitude of prayer, and I need you to help me. I, I remember uh, one of the astronauts when the programs first started got up, I think it was John Glenn, was up in, in the rocket ship and things began to go wrong and he began to work. And somebody asked him later, did you think to pray? He said, well, I was already prayed up. I didn't have time except just to say, God help me. And I think that's where we need to be. And our prayer life, so close to God, that in a moment's notice, we can say, God help me. And we are instantly in the presence of God. You know, many Christians are defeated because they fall down in these areas of praying and Bible reading. Being a Christian is more than just going through the motions and acting like one. Sometimes you can fool people into thinking something is different than it actually is. I, when I was in high school, went deer hunting, actually with bow and arrow, went archery hunting with a friend of mine. His name was Harry Watson. He was from Alaska. And we went out in the Blue Mountains above Walla Walla, Washington, hunting and, and uh, really had a good time. But I remember we walked down into one camp and uh, nobody was there. But there was a, a deer that had been processed and hanging in a tree. And, and I remember we thought how, much, you know, how neat it was that somebody got a deer. And then as we looked, we noticed there was a camera on a, a card table over there on one side of the camp. And so we came up with this idea. I went over and I posed with my bow and arrow. I posed on that deer and it looked like I'd shot it myself. Harry took pictures of me, and then he did the same thing, and I took pictures of him. Then we walked off, and we left the camera where we had found it, and I've often wondered what the hunter thought when he got those pictures developed and find these two geeks out there posing with his deer. Everybody that would see the picture thought that one of us had shot that deer, but the fact was we did not get a deer, and uh, we just made it look like something had happened that hadn't. You know, Christians should have a concern for others, but not every believer does. If you're going to play like you're a Christian, why not be the real thing? An unknown author described many Christians like this. He said, I was hungry and you discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned and you prayed for my release. Thank you. I was naked and you discussed my appearance. Thank you. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health thank you. I was homeless and you preached to me of the shelter of the love of God. Thank you. I was lonely. You prayed for me. Thank you. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and naked and homeless and imprisoned and cold without Jesus Christ in my heart. You know, those words hurt because they hit too close to home. If Christians put Christ first, there'd be fewer problems and more people saved. Three preachers were discussing the problem they had of bats nesting in the upper stories of their churches. 
Minister number one said, I thought I'd get rid of them by sneaking up on them and catching them in my fishing net. I took them out into the woods a few miles away and let them go. They were back in the church before I could even get back there. Minister number two said, I put a cat up there with him, thinking it would frighten him away. But when I went back, the cat had disappeared and the bats were still there. Minister three said, well, I solved the problem. I went up there and baptized and confirmed them, and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> the second thing to keep spiritually fit is daily dedication. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. You know, some Christians say that they've dedicated themselves to God, but refuse to surrender completely to God's will. Paul preached about, in Romans chapter 7 and 8, he preached about how, you know, the things he wanted to do that he knew he should do, he was not able to do. The things that he didn't want to do were the things he kept on doing. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Well, he worked it out by the time he got to chapter 8. The idea is, you know, that you need to come to a place after you've asked for forgiveness of your committed sins where you dedicate your life completely to God. A person shouldn't just be saved, but should also be sanctified. Now, that's a word that scares people, but it means that their life should be set apart for God's holy use, that God should cleanse them, make them fit for his work. His life is set apart for God to use. Up until now, the person had been a slave to sin, but now he has been freed from the guilt and the, the blame of the sin that he had committed. Now it is up to him to dedicate his life completely to Jesus Christ. I've been preaching in a Baptist church, and I, I know that some of the terms are a little different, but they preach the same thing. We need to come to a place where we commit our lives completely to Christ. They call it rededication. Too often we refuse to surrender to Christ, and then we lose out. Paul Stanley, an infantry company commander in Vietnam in 1967, he said, I saw Viet Cong soldiers surrender many times. As they were taking, taken into custody and marched away and interrogated, their body language and facial expressions always caught my attention. Most hung their heads in shame, staring at the ground, unwilling to look their captives in the eye. But some stood erect, staring defiantly at those around them, resisting any attempt by our men to control them. They, they would surrender physically, but not mentally. Once after the enemy had withdrawn, I found several soldiers surrounding a wounded Viet Cong. He had been shot through the lower leg, and he was hostile and frightened and yet helpless. He threw mud and kicked with his one good leg when, when anyone came close to him. When I, I joined the circle around the wounded enemy, one soldier asked me, Sir, what, what do we do? He's losing blood fast and needs medical attention. I looked at the struggling Viet Cong and, and saw the face of a 16 or 17-year-old boy. I unbuckled my pistol belt. I handed grenades so he couldn't grab them. I handed them to one of the soldiers. Then speaking gently, I moved toward him. 
He stared fearfully at me as I knelt down, but he let me slide my arms under him and pick him up. As I walked with him toward the waiting helicopter, he began to cry and hold me tight. He kept looking at me and squeezing me tighter. We climbed into the helicopter and took off. Well, during the ride, our young captive sat on the floor clinging to my leg. Never having ridden in a helicopter, he watched with panic as we gained altitude and flew over the trees. He fixed his eyes back on me, and I smiled reassuringly and put my hand on his shoulder. After landing, I picked him up and walked toward the medical tents. As we crossed the field, I felt the tenseness leave his body and his tight grasp loosen. His eyes softened and his head leaned against my chest. The fear and resistance were gone. He'd finally surrendered. God, to whom we surrender, isn't our enemy. He heals and cares for everyone he takes captive. Let Jesus cleanse all sin from your life and hold nothing back. Let go of the pet sin that maybe you're hanging on to that you don't want to give up. I'm reminded of the story of a father in, in the jungles of India. He'd been out hunting and he found a baby tiger. Evidently the mother had been killed and the baby tiger was so cute he took it home for his children to enjoy and play with. Well, the uh, chaplain or the missionary, I mean, that was in the village told him that that was a dangerous thing to have, that one day that little tiger would become a big tiger and cause some problems. And, and the father said, oh, look at the kids play with him. It's okay, and he's not going to be a problem. Well, the tiger did grow. And one day, one of the children was out scuffling, playing with him in the backyard, and all of a sudden, somehow, the tiger's claw scratched the children and the child, and he began to bleed, and all of a sudden, something changed in that tiger, and all that wildness came out, and he attacked and mauled that little, little boy. Now, if he would have just gotten rid of the baby tiger when it was little, they wouldn't have had a problem of losing one of his children. You know, we do that with sin. We have these pet sins that we don't want to give up. And we'll say, it's okay, I can handle it. But it will one day turn on you and one day cause you a lot of problem, maybe even lose your soul. Give yourself to Jesus and do it every day. 1 Corinthians 15:31 I protest brothers by my pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord I die every day or I die daily what peace comes when we surrender everything to God all of a sudden God is responsible for all that happens to me the secret of victory is doing Christ's will no matter what Psalm 37:5 says commit your ways to the Lord we spend too much time looking back at what we think that we left behind and what we're sorry we had to give up, wondering what we might be missing. While fleeing Sodom, Lot's wife looked back at, at all she thought that she was leaving behind, and that was her undoing. God said, don't look back, and remember, when she looked back, she became a pillar of salt. Because she found it hard to turn loose of worldly things, she was judged as disobedient and, like I said, became a pillar of salt. Once we find the joy and safety of Jesus Christ, we must never look back. Jesus said in, in Luke 9, 62, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Then the third thing about keeping physically or spiritually fit is living on a higher plane. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Most people are overly consumed with what the world has to offer. They neglect the worship and work of God. God doesn't mind if you have nice things if you put him first. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things you need will be added unto you. You know, when God's first, you will live on a higher level and Satan won't be able to bother you so badly. You're willing to do whatever you can to further God's kingdom. Clarence Forsberg, a great preacher in the Methodist Church, said he visited the campus of Nebraska Wesleyan talking to students who had expressed interest in the ministry. He asked how many of them were definitely committed to going into the ministry. Only one raised his hand. One young lady said, Well, I've got a problem with your use of the word commitment. That sounds very binding and restricting. Bishop Kenneth Carter of Tennessee wrote, The church has become an institution in which even belief in God is optional or peripheral. Marketing techniques are a multiple option institute, excuse me, for a multiple option institution, have replaced response to the gospel of Christ as a means of membership enlistment. The basic appeal is to self. Define needs rather than a call to radical de- discipleship. The, the church's mission is to meet its members' perceived needs rather than to serve God's need for a redeemed, unreconciled, or reconciled and, and healed world. I didn't do too good on that, but the guy said what you really need to do is put God first. Consumerism has crept into the church. To draw and recruit people, we think we need to say, look what you're going to get if you join our church, what our church can offer you. In this atmosphere of a sorority rush party, any talk of discipleship is muted. Discipleship means knowing who Jesus is and following his teaching. His, you know, being willing to die with him and to be resurrected and stand in his presence. Don't try to just get by with God. Give him your very best. He gave you his best. Daily direction is the next thing that we need to do to be spiritually fit. John sixteen thirteen, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You know, many people insist on following their own desires and depending on their own learning. Uh, I remember when Frank Sinatra was singing that song, I Did It My Way. I used to call him Frank Not Sahatra, But anyhow, and I still hear that phrase sometimes, well, I did it my way. Well, if that's the case, you've chosen an inferior way. We need God's guidance in every area of our lives. As we submit to his will, we are led by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your way acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 
John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is talking. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One does not surrender a life in the instant, which that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. That was Jim Elliott, one of my favorite missionaries that was uh, killed by the Aqua Indians in 1956. Let me say it again. One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, was asked the secret of his amazing Christian life. Booth answered, well, I told the Lord that he could have all there is of William Booth. You know, that's the secret of being spiritually fit, giving God all there is of you and not taking it back, but letting him use you as he sees fit. Dear Father, I pray that you'll help each one that's listening to this message to realize the importance of making that commitment to you, saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because, Lord, that's where we stay spiritually fit, and that's where the victory we have in living. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, if you need to get in touch with me, my phone number is 623-845-2741. You can also text using that number, and I would get the text and read it and try to answer you. Or you can write to me at Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. Or you can even use my email address, REV, that's lowercase, R-E-V-W-M-W-W-O-O-D-S at gmail.com. Again, happy Father's Day, and I'll be praying that God will use you in a mighty way, and you will be spiritually fit for his kingdom. God bless you.